I, even only I, am left uh, a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you guys call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, it is well spoken. Are you excited? Come on, that's pretty, that's pretty major. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us this morning. Uh, from the pages of your word as we look at the prophet Elijah. Lord, I pray that you have something for each and every one of us. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, I, I wanted to have a look at... Uh, Elijah was probably my favourite prophet in the whole of the Old Testament. And I believe he still speaks to our society today. Now, El Elijah was raised up by God because he had an excellent spirit, sensational faith. He's an amazing prophet. If you read him, he's just, uh, he's just incredible. But he's also incredibly flawed. He, he, he actually suffered from depression and he, he contemplated suicide and a whole bunch of stuff. So he had very high highs and very low lows. And how many of you here can relate to that? I have high highs, I have low lows. Now, when, he's, when he passed on the mantle, I'm not going to dwell on this part, but when he passed on the mantle to his, his next in line, Elisha, so you've got Elijah and Elisha, got to watch what you pronounce there. His protege, Elisha faced the Jordan River. Now, before Elijah didn't die, he was caught up uh, in chariots of fire to, into heaven. It's, it's, he's one of the few people who never actually faced death. But when, when he'd gone, on the way over, he'd thrown his cloak down and the Jordan River had parted and they walked through. So Elisha's facing the same river. And he says in 2 Kings 2 verse 14, Where is the Lord God? Sorry, where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he struck the water and the water was parted and he went across. So Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? But I believe today we should be asking the opposite. We should be asking, where are the Elijahs of the Lord God? Because there's not enough people standing up for what is right and true today. More than ever before, we need the Elijahs of God in this generation. And God is looking for people like that. In Ezekiel 22, it says, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. So in Ezekiel, the Lord was looking for someone to stand up for, for truth in the nation and he couldn't find anybody. He found someone in Elijah, but my question is, who's he going to find today? Because I'm hoping it's you and me. God, will, you know, God is looking for people in our generation in our nation. He's looking at you and me. And I don't know about you, but I aim to be that guy. I want to be Elijah. I want to be the guy who stands up in the face of the enemy and says the truth. Is anyone with me? So let's look closer at the prophet Elijah. See, you think, if you read the, the Bible, you assume that all these great prophets and amazing kings and stuff like that through the Bible, you assume they were all supermen. They could all pull out their, their pull their sort of shirt apart. There's a big S there, right? But they're not. They're flawed people. They're really, they're real people. And uh, they're not super saints. And the Bible tells us in James chapter 5 verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. He said, Elijah is a man, was a man with a nature just like ours. So the Greek word for nature is the word, word homeopathis, which literally means passion. 
So they, he, what James is saying is that Elijah was a man just like us. He had passions like us. He had desires. He had needs. He had affections. He was an ordinary guy. He came from a, a, an area called Tishbe in Gilead, which is east of the Jordan River, remote, hilly, and it was pretty tough terrain. It was deserty. And he was probably a pretty tough dude, probably a shepherd. So what we're talking about is Elijah was a working class guy. He was, didn't come from the elite halls in Jerusalem. He was a working class guy. He had no extraordinary training. He didn't hold a degree. He had no genealogical pedigree. Just a tough exterior and a heart totally devoted to God. But God raised this guy up in the whole of Israel. Isn't that incredible? So if you're ordinary, brilliant, maybe you're in the right spot for God to raise you up in our nation. You don't have to be super special. So I want to look at a bunch of C words uh, concerning Elijah. The first one is the call of Elijah. See, we know nothing about Elijah until he bursts onto the stage and confronts the evil king Ahab and he prays and he shuts up the heavens for three and a half years. So the first thing we see is this powerful call of God in his life to confront evil and he confronted the evil king Ahab and his rotten evil wife and he had faith enough to call a drought and it just kept going until he said so. In 1 Kings 17 it says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe, that's a cool name isn't it? Wouldn't you like to say I'm from Tishbe? Tishbe. Said to Ahab the king, As the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So here's this guy, he marches out of nowhere, marches into the courts of the kings, pronounce a prophecy and marches out. That's, that's courage right there. It would be like you going to Canberra today, marching into the Prime Minister's office and pronouncing judgment on his policies. It's a good idea. You want the voice, Albanese? I'll give you one you'll never forget. Here it is. That's a voice. The voice of God. But instead, in Australia, people who are in leading positions, even Christian leaders, are bowing and scraping to minorities, fearful of upsetting anyone and getting labelled a bigot. I used to be called a religious nut. Now I'm a sexist, racist, homophobic, transphobic, hypocritical bigot. I've come up in the world. Pretty sure that's a step up. I'm not sure. Where are the Elijahs of God in our generation that are called to stand up for the truth? I'll tell you what, many of them are not in positions of authority in our nation. The second thing about Elijah is he had compassion. See, Elijah, in the middle of a drought that he, he caused, in a sense, he called... He had compassion on a poor widow who wasn't even a Jew. She was from a place in Sidon called Seraphath. It was Gentile territory, but she worshipped the one true God. But she wasn't even a Jew. She wasn't even of the right race. But he took time out of his life to care for this woman. And, and, and he tested her a little bit. Because when all was, was bleak and she was down to her last bit of flour and her last bit of oil, he came in and he said, would you, would you bake something for me? And she's thinking, well, man, I'm about to die. And this was my last bit. And, and, and you're asking me to give you my last bit. But by faith, look at 1 Kings 17, 14 says this. Elijah said to her, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. You see, Elijah cared about a poor person. 
He proclaimed the word of God to kings and then he turned around and he took time out and had compassion for a poor woman from the wrong side of the tracks. Later on, her son died. Now, in that culture, when you, if she was a widow, so she had no husband, the son was taking care of her. When the son dies, that's it for her. She's going to starve. There's no one to provide for her. So she's absolutely distraught. And in, in 1 Kings 17, 20, it says this. Uh, Elijah says, I cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came back into him and he was revived. I have a friend in, in the Philippines. He's passed away now. I miss him terribly. Uh, Pastor Welly. And I remember he, he had a, a son, a little boy was brought to him uh, many, many years ago. And he was the, the, the son of, a, of a, a relative of his somewhere. But every time the little boy went home, he got very, very sick. He was probably nine months old. And when he came to Pastor Well, he started to do well. Well, well, he was away for a, a while and his wife, Leonella, was there. And this little baby actually died. And he'd been, he'd been dead for, for about an hour. And well, he came back with tears in his eyes and prayed for him. And he came back to life. And so he adopted that boy is now pastoring the church that we helped build. You know, this is how God works. Incredible. See, God is a God of miracles. And I remember him saying to me, I don't feel like a very good pastor, Darren. He said, I've only ever raised one person from the dead. I said, really? Just one? Shame on you. That's terrible. Get your act together. Oh, that we should all be that bad. <laughs> so Elijah raised this, this uh, little child from the dead. It's one thing to have an opinion to stand on the word of God and to make a stand for Jesus, but it's another thing to be kind to the poorest in our society and take time for those that, uh, that are overlooked. If you are someone who is poor and downtrodden, kicked around by life, I tell you today, God loves you and we love you. We, you know, we do care. I believe God has a plan for your life and he wants you to come to him this day. You see, Elijah took time out for the poorest in our society. And I've got to tell you, sometimes it's pretty... You, you ask Fiona and the team that works at Lily House, sometimes it's pretty disheartening. Folks let you down. But we keep going because we believe God wants to reach every... Every person is important. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what background you've had, you are important to God. And if you come to Christ today, your life will be completely transformed. The third C is the confrontation with Baal. Ah. Oh. This is getting me, I'm getting a bit excited about this. We get the big showdown where we see the incredible faith of Elijah. Now, Elijah randomly appeared. How would you like to have this guy if you're the king and a bad king in your territory? He just shows up all the time, all the wrong times when you didn't want him. So he randomly appeared before the king and queen Jezebel. <clears throat> now, she'd routed the priests. She'd murdered them all, save for a hundred that Obadiah had hidden in caves. And like today... Spiritual darkness covered the land as people ignored God and pursued their own agendas. Does that sound familiar? That's what's happening in our nation. 1 Kings 18 verse 17 says this, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said, said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? So Elijah shows up and Ahab goes, Oh, crikey, not you. You're always bad news. You always bring bad news. That's what he said to him. But Elisha not taking a backward step, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. 
and your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. The Baal was the God at the time. Now, therefore, so Elijah's calling the shots here. Send, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. That's 850 to 1, like those odds. Um, so what happened here? You notice the deities that are mentioned here. Baal was a god of fertility. He was all about prosperity. He was all about materialism. That's what, if you worship Baal, that's what you got. The symbol for Baal was a golden bull. What do you think sits outside Wall Street today? Coincidence. So Baal was all about, people came to Baal and they were greedy and they wanted stuff. They wanted, they wanted material goods, right? And, and so he was all about prosperity and materialism. Asherah, which is the other one I mentioned there, Asherah poles, the, Asherah was all about sex. And believe it or not, back in the day, homosexuality and transgenderism were part of what Asherah cult did. Or they're all about prostitution, all about that sort of stuff. So guess what? We face the same demons today. I preached a couple of months ago on the return of the gods. We face the same gods today. Someone says to me, isn't it amazing how sexually how things have just declined so rapidly? Yes, because there is a, there is a, a demon mind behind this thing. And, and our fellow Australians are just falling into line with it. We're just worshipping the same gods that they did back in these days, the same demons. Elijah didn't compromise and preach tolerance. He stood up and confronted these guys head on in a mighty showdown. So Elijah lived every moment with God. See, this is what's different. This is what made him different. He thought about his nation's sins like God. He grieved over sin like God. He confronted and spoke against sin like God. Elijah was passionate in his prayers, but also in his confrontation of sin. Elijah didn't preach tolerance. He didn't preach to be popular. He preached the truth. And what we have in our society at the moment is relative truth. Or your truth is different to my truth. Listen, if you've got a truth and it's different to my truth, something's not truth. It can't be. Truth has to be absolute. It is an absolute measure no matter what people say. Oh, that's, that doesn't agree with my truth. I don't care. It's not your truth. It's your opinion. And you are allowed to be wrong. Sorry, I'm getting a bit Elijah-y on you. So Elijah set up this showdown on Mount Carmel in northern Israel. Now, Mount Carmel rises over 500 metres above the Mediterranean Sea and it normally has a very high rainfall. See, why, why Mount Carmel? Is it because he couldn't spell caramel? I don't know. You, you know, why Mount Carmel? It's because Mount Carmel symbolised something. It was very, very lush. The slopes of Mount Carmel back in the day were very lush. They were fertile. They symbolized the prosperity that Baal was talking about. So when Elijah took his stand, they'd had, they'd had this incredible drought for three and a half years. So the lush slopes of Mount Carmel were like tinder dry and brown and yuck. And so already the judgment of Baal was sitting right there on the mountain. This is the mountain they're going to have the showdown on. And already God was showing his judgment against Baal. Uh, interesting, I found a verse in Amos 1 verse 2 says this, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. You see, Carmel represented 
the lushness and prosperity of Baal until God got a hold of it and he made it into a tinderbox. And that's why Elijah chose Mount Carmel because it was a symbol of fertility and its brownness and drought was a direct attack against Baal and Asherah. So in 1 Kings 18, verse 20, it says this, So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel and Elijah came near to all the people and said, Listen to what he says. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. And that is exactly what is happening today. You want a voice? You need to hear the voice. So what is challenging us today is something like that. Many of us, uh, we're like the people. It's laid out, hey, there's truth, there's error. There's something that's real, there's something that's fake. And we're sitting there limping between two opinions. Gosh, which way do we choose? I think you need an absolute truth. You need a standard, something to measure yourself against. Edmund Burke, the great statesman, says famously, and this so applies to Australia, listen to this, all that is required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And we have a nation full of leaders who do nothing when it comes to all of the stuff going on around us. So Elijah said, how long will you be limping between two opinions? How many Christians say, well, I'm not really sure what the Bible says, but I hear this on social media, or the government saying this, or the gay BC saying this, you know. And so we take in all this stuff that is thrown at us, and people start to believe that instead of the Bible. Peter Marshall said, better you stand for something, lest you fall for anything. And we've got a nation of people out there falling for anything. I mean, this, I mean, I know many people who aren't Christians who are saying to me, this is crazy, this stuff out here. What's going on in our schools is ridiculous. We know it's ridiculous. Common sense says it's ridiculous. But popular opinion doesn't. And we've got to be careful who we listen to. The Hebrew word for limping is the word pasa, which means to hop, limp, or dance. How many Christians are dancing the dance these days? I think I believe God. It's Sunday. Oh, no, it's Monday. I think I believe that, you know. And so they go back and forth between the two. I'm a terrible dancer, as you can clearly see. Um, but many Christians are dancing between what God says and what the world says when we should stand for truth because truth is truth. It's not relative. Truth is truth. And there has never been a greater need in my lifetime or your lifetime for the Elijahs of God to rise up and stand for truth. Stand for something lest you fall for anything. The fourth C is the contest. I love this. The contest with Baal. 1 Kings 18. And you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of my God. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people said, well spoken. Remember last time he confronted them and challenged The people said nothing. Finally, the people speak. Yeah, that's a great idea. Why? Because they're in it for the spectacle. That's what they want. They don't want truth. They want entertainment. They don't care about right and wrong. They want a show. Somebody says, we're going to set this up and fire's going to come down here. They go, oh, cool. Yeah, let's do that. Hey, I just bought an 85-inch TV. This is brilliant. I'll be able to watch the, you know. This is like the footy finals or something. But this is, they don't care about truth. It's just give me a good show. And how many people today are like that? I mean, think about it. You get on social media and people are buzzing around on social media. They're not generally, not many of them anyway, reading Bible verses and encouraging things like that. What are they looking at? Funny cat videos. Embarrassingly bad singers from The Voice. 
and they get outraged against people who disagree with them. I mean, we live in a world that is entertainment-driven and it's all people want. And think about it, even Christians are like that. You know, I just want to go to a church where I get entertained. Give me a good message. Give me a good worship time. Give me a few lights and, you know, smoke and all that sort of stuff. They just want entertainment. There's nothing wrong with it, but that's what they're after. But I think we have to stand for truth, not entertainment. So Elijah says, when they say, so be it, Elijah says, yeah, I can live with that. Let's go. And he gets the prophets of Baal out there first. Now, you need a bit of courage because they get first crack of the whip. And if fire happens to come down from heaven and consume this, Elijah's in a lot of trouble. So easy. But he let them go first. And they ranted and raved and, and uh, you know, carried on. And uh, we get told as Christians, you've, got to be, you've always got to be kind. You've always got to be compassionate. And, and don't say anything that upsets people or, or you know, affects, you know, got to be tolerant and don't be intolerant in what you say. But Elijah didn't get that memo. What Elijah did was he mocked them at noon. In verse 27, Elijah mocked them. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Maybe he is mussing, or, or in Hebrew means meditating. Or maybe he's relieving himself. Do it a bit louder. God's, your God's probably on the toilet and there's no toilet paper, and he can't get out. Think about it. That's what he's saying. Or, or maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps he hasn't shown up yet. Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. So, I mean, Elijah was pretty cocky. You'd have to say that. Given that he hadn't, nothing had happened at his end yet, but he's busy mocking them. Look, we, I'm not saying we should mock people, but we've got to be bold, don't we? And... Uh, you know, he, he, he took on those guys head on. And we're told as Christians we need to be meek and mild, but we need to stand up for truth. And Elijah, I can see Elijah doing this mocking, and he's playing to the crowd a little bit here. He is. You know, here's another one. He throws another crack at their God, and the crowd is <laughs> They want to be entertained. But then, in 1 Kings 18, this is after they've... After, so we're still in 1 Kings 18, after they've cried aloud, cut themselves with lances and bloods gushing everywhere. And, but no one answered, no one paid attention. You see, their gods weren't real. They were blocks of wood. And God, the God of Elijah is real. So after letting them cut themselves and do all of these things, Elijah now faced the sternest test and praying. You know, he, pray, he had to pray and he had to let God be God. He couldn't do this. He had to let God be God. But just to make sure that no one questioned him on this, he said this, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and, and he repaired the altar that, of the Lord that had been thrown down. There was an altar there and he repaired it. He picked up 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and remade this altar. Now the word for, uh, Hebrew word for repair is rapa, which means to heal or make whole. The same word is used by a physician healing a person. God wants to heal both us and our nation. And so he put this altar together and just to make things harder, in verse 33, he put wood in, in order, cut, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four jars with water and pour, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he did it twice. So just to make it, just to show there's no doubt here, no trickery, go and get some water, pour it all on the wood. So it's soggy wood. Have you ever tried to light soggy wood? Have you been on a camp and you're sitting there with your little lighter or your little match and the wood's soggy and it just doesn't take? And so he said, well, God, we're going to make this really hard. And then we see in verse 36, 
Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are a God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O God, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then fire from the Lord fell from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and wood and, and the dust and the stones uh, and licked up the water that was in the trench. A mighty contest. He calls down fire from heaven. Bam! I love that. Who's up for some of that these days? And then the next bit. He slayed the evil prophets and got rid of a lot of them. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. See, that was the big confrontation. God versus the other gods. But I tell you that we're facing the same gods right now. But I tell you this, we are serving the same God right now. And our God's bigger than your God. Our God is bigger than the God of this world. And we should not be afraid to confront evil. Because if we don't say anything, they'll just wipe everything out. But if we stand up, we should not be afraid because our God is a true God. And he's greater than these demonic deities that are behind it. So after this confrontation, the next C word is the cloud of blessing. See, remember the place was in drought. The drought was about to to break, so Elijah had said. He went to the top of the mountain, same mountain, bowed down and prayed and instructed his servant to observe. Seven times he asked. And each time the servant said, well, there's no cloud, there's no rain. Going to keep praying again. But on the seventh time, it says in verse 44, Behold, uh, the servant said, a little, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And Elijah said, that's the one. Go up and tell Ahab he better run lest the rain stops him. After three and a half years of drought, here's the message to the king. Start now, you're going to get flooded in. I love that faith. Isn't that incredible? We need faith like Elijah. We need to pray and keep on praying until we see God move. Honestly, most of us do not persist in, pa- in prayer. We give up often just before the breakthrough, we give up. We think faith is seeing answers to our prayer. But I tell you, it takes greater faith if you don't see the answers to your prayer. It takes greater faith if things don't go your way. But if you have faith, God is going to work it out. He promises that. I think we have to learn to persist in prayer. It's one thing to be on the top of the mountain and do something real flash. But when it comes to personally persisting in prayer, sometimes you've got to go back again and again. Sometimes you've got to press in and keep going. Reminds me of the parable in Luke 18. Remember that, the persistent widow? And in the end, the, the, the evil judge says, Oh, man, oh, you, you're nagging me to death, woman. Here, just take it. And Jesus doesn't say God's like that, but he says, How much more will your father answer those prayers? And then he goes on to talk about his own imminent return. When, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, I tell you, Elijah had faith. Faith that confronted massive miracles, saw incredible things happen. One that persisted where necessary. And we need to be the same. Sometimes we've just got to keep praying. We just have to keep going. Not everything happens in one quick, easy move. Sometimes we have to press in and keep going. But then after all of these great high highs, the next C is not as high. It's the collapse of Elijah's faith. And this is the thing I love about Elijah. He's a human being. He had these amazing triumphs. Whoa, call down fire. Boof. Imagine being there. Shoo. Awesome. And then a few minutes later, he's on the run because Jezebel wants, wants to kill him. He had the biggest triumph of his career. 
saw the huge and spectacular miracle, then he collapsed and he plunged into depression right after his greatest victory. Is anybody here like that? I tell you, I'm like that. The worst times for me are after some incredible, amazing things in God. And then you kind of come down to ground and you, you, you get flat. Grappling with depression is very real. And before you condemn me or somebody else for being down, it's not an act of rebellion. It's a crisis of faith. It's not an act of rebellion. When I have, have an, an amazing success and then I finish up being down and depressed, it's not because I don't love God. It's not because I'm not serving God. It's because circumstances have happened to me and I just get flat. Does anybody here relate to that? You just get flat. You just, you just can't be on top all the time. And Elijah ran for his life in fear from Jezebel and found himself alone, depressed, and sitting under a broom tree. And he says this in 1 Kings 19. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. See, Elijah was actually so depressed he was suicidal. Take my life, I'm done. And how many of us here have been there? have been down so, so far that you just say, I just want to end it. Listen, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It is never, never, never an option. Whatever drives you to despair is never permanent. It will pass. But if you suicide, that does not pass. And so, you know, we need to concentrate on life. Yes, you'll get down. I understand that. But God is there with you in the valley of the shadow of death. When you need him, he is there. Some of us here grapple with this whole thing regularly. And I've got to tell you, we are here to help you be set free from that, that bondage. If you battle with chronic depression and even suicide, we want to share the journey with you. And some of you do. Some of you will be battling depression and suicide constantly. And if you are, we have our inner healing team uh, that are going to help you along that road. It's not a quick fix. They're, you know, sometimes you've just got to persist in prayer. But we've got people who will share the journey with you. Don't do it alone. Elijah found himself alone under a broom tree. The ravens came and fed him. He was alone. Don't do it alone. If you go with someone else, you will be, you will be helped up. In Amos it says, I will help you up. When two are there, one can help the other one up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. So don't be like Elijah sitting alone plunging into depression. Now, the angel woke Elijah and provided food. And sometimes the best thing we can do for depression is practical. Get some rest, get some food. Have a decent feed and get some sleep. And sometimes depression rises a little bit from there. And I know there's a lot of uh, counsellors and psychotherapists and psychologists in the room. And you, you know depression is very, very real. And sometimes it, it takes a bit of practicality to help you with that. But if you are in that position this morning, don't do it alone. Right? There are professional people who can help you. Don't do it alone as Elijah did then. But then it says in verse 8, he rose and drank and he went in the strength of the food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So the next C for Elijah is complaint. Elijah had a whinge at God. Did you know that? Here he is calling down fire from heaven. Next thing you know, he's whining to God. He was honest about how he's felt. And guess what? God didn't get upset at him. You know, if you have a complaint... Tell God, he's not going to get upset at you. He's not. He can handle it. He's big enough, he's strong enough, he can handle it, I can assure you. 
So if you're depressed, let him know. If you feel cheated, let him know. If you feel hard down by and overlooked, tell him so. Because God can deal with your complaints. So Elisha said this, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed all your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am only the, one, the only one left, and they seek to take my life away. Like most depressed people, the world seemed a lot darker place than it actually is. Is that true? I mean, when I, you know, when I get the blues, everything's colored blue, right? And he's saying, I'm the only one left. He wasn't the only one left. That's how he felt. And it's okay to tell God if you feel tired, if you feel run down, if you feel low, if you feel depressed, tell God. But don't stay there. The, the, Psalm 23, we love it so much. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember that? Walk through it. Don't camp there. It doesn't say, yea, though I camp in the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I hang out and have lunch in the shadow, you know, walk, keep walking. If you are down and flat today, keep walking, but let us walk with you. Because that's what we're here for. We're about community. And the eighth thing, the final one I want to mention about Elijah is his connection to God. At his lowest point, when he was most miserable and down, he was looking for God. He was seeking the Lord, and the Lord surprised him. We know this passage well, most of it. But oftentimes God doesn't show up in the spectacular. But listen to 1 Kings 19. God says to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. Now listen to this. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, was the sound of a gentle whisper. Guess where God was? The gentle whisper. God speaks to our hearts in a gentle whisper, oftentimes not in spectacular things. Most often I find God speaks in a still, small voice. And sometimes when I'm at my lowest point, this still, small voice speaks to me. Be still and know that I am God. And here's one of life's great secrets. God is very, very near. Psalm 34 verse 18. This is for someone here today. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Are you crushed this morning? God is near. Some of you are running from God. Some of you say, well, you know, I, 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 I haven't really been connected with God for a long time. I've got something for you too. Listen to Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I fl uh, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in, the, in Sheol, in death, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. See, God is near to you whether you're running away or whether you're at your lowest and crushed. God is near to you. All you have to do is turn to Him. He loves you. So don't look for the spectacular. Listen to the still small voice wooing you. God speaks tenderly to me every single day. Every day speaks to me, not in explosions or, or healings or prophetic words, but when I open my Bible in my quiet time as I read, God speaks to me every single day. And he can to you as well. So God, you know, this incredible guy, Elijah, who took on all the forces of the world, his secret was that in private he connected with the voice of God. And he found the voice of God. Where are the Elijahs of God? See, Elijah was a real person, just like we are. 
He stood in faith. He proclaimed God's truth to a hostile anti-God world. But he also had deep bouts of depression and he was a real person. And through it all, he turned to the Lord and, and had an intimate relationship with God. So where are the Elijahs of God? Who are the Elijahs of God in Australia in the 21st century? It's you and I. If we're prepared to stand in the gap for our people, for God's unchangeable truth, we might have successes, we might have failures, we might see sensational breakthroughs, we might have really low times and depressing times, but through it all, top or bottom, high or low, Elijah was sold out for God, and that is what we need in our nation right now. People who are sold out no matter what. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are at in your walk, if you're on the top, if you're down the bottom, God is near. And he's reaching out to you. Elijah was brash, sometimes abrasive, often criticized. I mean, if you had Elijah in your church, you'd resign and go to another church. This guy was a pain. He was always confronting this and, you know, but we need guys like this, don't we? We need people who move in the spirit and and call things the way they should be. Elijah was a man of courage and conviction. What we need today is people of backbone, not wishbone. We need more Elijahs of God. Now, we probably won't stand on top of a mountain and call down fire, but we can pray fervently like Elijah did for our generation. And we can settle things in our heart and stand for truth without compromise. Man, there is so much rubbish out there. You've got to get back to the Bible, folks, because this is the standard of truth. This tells us what's right and wrong, not what comes out on social media. When we talk to friends on Facebook or at work or in school, we should be firm and quiet in our resolve to speak Jesus to our nation as we sung before. But in amongst all that, it's not just highs. You know, it's not just standing against tyranny, but I also see in Elijah a real guy who struggled with depression and suicide. If you are struggling with depression, I can tell you right now that it's not God's will because he wants to heal you of that. Okay, He doesn't set out to depress you. He promises you life and life to the full. But life gets on top of us, doesn't it? Sometimes things just, just, just pile up on top of us and we feel overwhelmed and we get down. I believe God has something for you this morning. See, Jesus promised life to the full, not a dreary, depressed existence. God has far more for you. If you bring your pain and hurt and bitterness to him, he has so much more for you. He has a plan and a destiny for your life. So let's bow our heads in prayer. I believe God's speaking to people here this this morning. And there are some of you here who struggle with depression. There's some of you here who just feel down and flat. Maybe you, you were excited about the things of God a little while ago and maybe you're just flat. I believe the Lord is speaking to you this morning. There are some here who have been running from God. Some here who have, have maybe never asked Jesus into your life or maybe you did a long time ago and it just seems to have fallen on hard times, on drought like what was on Mount Carmel that day. Well, it is time for the rains to fall on your life. If you've never asked Jesus into your life or if, if you did a long time ago and you're not really sure if you're, still, if you're still acceptable to him, if you're still part of his family, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer first of all. And this is your moment, your opportunity to give your heart to Jesus fully. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, do it now. Do it now. There is no time like now. And if you haven't done it for a long time, do it now anyway. Because we want people 
who are who are set on fire. This nation needs Elijahs and needs people who love God passionately. So if you've never asked Jesus into your life or you've you've been wandering far from him, pray this prayer with me and together we're going to commit your life afresh to him or for the first time to him. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. But right now I turn away from my sin to you. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. And I ask that you fill me with your Spirit. Thank you for giving me eternal life and for making me part of your forever family. Now, if you pray that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm going to ask you to just shoot your hand up where you are and quickly put it down. Are there any others? Thank you, Lord. I know God has a destiny for you. God has a destiny for so many of you. But some of you here struggle with depression and with being down and being flat, and I don't want you to struggle anymore. If you're feeling flat, depressed, down, then I'm going to pray a prayer for you. And I'm going to believe that this is going to be the start of the turnaround. It's usually a journey out of depression. It's not a quick fix. But we have people here who can stand with you and help you and love you and support you all the way. But if you, if you are struggling with, with, with life, maybe overwhelmed, maybe down, flat, depressed, I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to ask. Together we're going to ask the Lord to heal your soul. Because you can be a believer but still have your soul scarred and hurt. It's time to stop it. Pray these words with me if that's you. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my struggles. I turn away from the, the, the life that confronts me. And I fix my eyes on you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Set me free from the depression that affects my life. Lord, I give you, I yield to you my entire life. If that's you and you've been struggling with being depressed and down, I want you to just quickly raise your hand wherever you are. There's a few of you. I know, it's an ongoing thing. Now, as we finish, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's all stand together.